It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. As the nation reeled from video of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the subsequent protests, Time Magazine ran a searing cover image capturing the moment. A painting of a young black girl in silhouette led the double issue, titled America Must Change. Atlanta artist Charlie Palmer was commissioned by Time's artistic director to render an image that would capture the seminal episode in the nation's history. You can see that painting and more of Palmer's work in a retrospective titled Departure at the newly reopened Hammond's House Museum. Rosalind Bentley spoke with Palmer about his work and she's here to bring us that conversation. Welcome. Hey, Shane, thanks for having me again. It's always great to have you here. And uh, this is a pretty fascinating uh, exhibition and, and uh, I, I imagine that Charlie Palmer's a pretty interesting guy. Oh, he absolutely is. I mean, the show spans 30 years of his career. And so, as you can imagine, you see his evolution and his change and how he uses different mediums to express um, really the experience, or no, we won't call it singular, but the experiences that African-Americans face um, in the nation. So, yeah. Right. And so, uh, I mean, as you talk about in the story, which you can find on AJC.com, his work sort of evolved over the years. It changed, uh, you know, as as the world changed, I guess. Yes. I mean, it's in some ways a classic story. When you are a creative person, you want to express that, but you also want to be able to pay your rent and eat. So early on, he was a graphic artist, a graphic designer, and that took care of the bills. But there was always this drive, this craving, um, this yearning to be a fine artist. And so that's what he did. He went 
back to school. Um, he got uh, degrees in fine art in Chicago and it slowly built up from there. And by, oh, I guess the early nineties, he finds himself in Atlanta and his career blossoms. Yeah, well, and I imagine that the uh, the Time Magazine cover last year probably amped that up a little more. <laughs> well, it did, it did. I mean, and to be honest with you, he, like a lot of contemporary artists now, really use, you know, social media to get their work out there. I mean, his Instagram account is, you know, pretty amazing. He's very active there. And I think that's where a lot of people push out their work. But in this instance, as it happened, the um, artistic director at Time Magazine actually is a former AJC employee and was familiar with uh, Palmer's work from when he worked, you know, at the AJC and apparently said to Palmer, you know, I've always wanted to use your work. I've always wanted to find the right space for it. Hey, I think now is the moment. Well, that's great. I, and, and now uh, you can actually get to see his work in person, uh, which is a wonderful thing these days to be able to go to a gallery or museum and see work again. Without a doubt. I mean, like so many institutions, Hammond's House was closed and then they pivoted and did virtual exhibitions. And what I'm finding is a lot of arts institutions are saying, you know, we're going to keep a virtual component as we move forward, because in some ways it allows us to have something more of a global reach. But that said, there really is nothing like being able to go in person and look at a work and get close to it and just kind of sit with it in a gallery or museum space. And so that's what you get with this new exhibition at Hammond's house. You can view some online, but seeing it in person, seeing his evolution in person and kind of hearing him speak, if you will, through his paintings and his work, um, you just can't get it any other place than in the space. All right, well, is there anything else we should know before we uh, go to your conversation with uh, Charlie Palmer? Well, if you are a John Legend fan and you've downloaded his work, John Legend's latest uh, album has the work of Charlie Palmer on the cover. So you may digitally actually own a Charlie Palmer. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's great. Okay, well, uh, let's hear from the artist himself. Thanks so much, Ross. Hey, thanks again, Shane. Well, Charlie Palmer, welcome. Thank you for joining us with the Access Atlanta podcast today. And you you have been really busy. I mean, book signings, I mean, regardless of the pandemic, it's you know, book signings and you've had artist talks. Uh, you did a collab with Okori Okechello Johnson. I mean, you have just been out there. Uh, yes, I, yes, I have been. Yep. Um, and so we just wanted to just talk with you, you know, a little bit about this latest uh, venture that you have, which is a retrospective at Hammond's House Museum. I mean, it is sort of fitting that since the um, pandemic had the museum shut down for so long, 
I know that there was a virtual opening for your show in June, but now folks are able to go and see, is it now about 40 pieces within the show? Yes, I think it's 36, but it might be, okay. it might be 40. It's, a, it's around 36 to 40 pieces. Okay, got it. Well, now they can go and see this uh, in person, up close and in person um, yes. on Atlanta's West End. So, but yeah, let's talk about it. So, I mean, how did that come about? This idea that, um, you know, this idea that, hey, it's time now uh, for a retrospective of your work. Yeah, you know, I, I love the question, uh, Rosalind. Uh, it's, a, it's a long story. I'm gonna try to do my best to make it short. Take your time, as they say uh, I, in church. Take your time. Take your time. Um, let me see. I have been, you know, like knocking at at Hemis House door for years, saying, "Show my work. Uh, come see what I do." And uh, had actually gotten to a point where, with my career and everything like that, that things were going just great. Uh, they were going wonderful. And then uh, my um, one of my mentors and favorite people, uh, Louis Del Sart, passed away. He passed away last year, and. Uh, in a conversation with Jay Dell Start, his wife, Jay had just casually asked me, uh, when, when did you do a show at Hammond House? And I said, I've never done a show at Hammond House. And she said, uh, we have to correct that. Uh, she said, I think she sits on the board. I can't, I, I'm not sure, but she said, I, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna talk to the board, but Charlie, you need to do a show because it's so important. And she learned that lesson from also with Louis Del Sartre. It's like, you know, to celebrate your flowers and receive your flowers while you're still here. And she said, I'm sure it would be something they would be interested in. And so she approached um, Leatrice, uh, who was the acting director, I mean, who was the director who just re recently uh, left and uh, pitched the idea. And they immediately were on board and said, they're definitely interested. And so Leatrice and Robbie and I had a conversation and uh, showed them some of the works that were already created. And we decided, you know, it, it would probably make sense to do a retrospective because not only like Atlanta, I've lived here for as long as I've lived anywhere in my life. And so, uh, and I've had quite, quite a large body of work. So just uh, let's put this together and because of the love I have for Hammond House. I was very much on board with having it shown there. Okay. And so, you said that at one point, maybe this was just gonna be a show of new work, but then there was the, the decision that, no, let's just show the whole body of work, especially as it pertains to Atlanta. Yes, you know, like the whole idea, like uh, I think the very first piece in the show is the one that starts the, the 30 year period, cause it's 30 years of work. And it was a, a, a piece that was purchased here in Atlanta just before I moved down. I'd come down for an event that was hosted by, by uh, uh, Apex Museum, actually. And uh, it had, it had uh, they were honoring Thurgood Marshall and Thurgood Marshall was still alive. And so as that, there was also, in addition to that, it was a little small art show. And a person that became a friend of mine purchased a piece I did of Malcolm X. And uh, that's one of the earliest pieces that I have. And so I was able to reach out to Don Roman and say, hey, can I borrow this for the show? So there's two works that are on loan and the rest of my works that I actually own of mine. Okay, got it, got it. Well, let's talk about your your evolution um, as an artist. I mean, is I mean, you've had a varied career. You began as a graphic artist, um, moved into fine art. Uh, 
you've even illustrated children's books. So let's talk about what viewers are gonna see when they come in your evolution as an artist. Okay, uh, so it, it is very much that. One of the things that I have always tried to do and I still do is I don't, I don't remain still for very long. I am constantly ducking and diving and moving and, it, and evolving. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a challenge for an artist to be still, to stay not complacent. I don't wanna say complacent, but to stay in a place, a safe area. You get to a point where you just kind of like get your groove going and you begin to kind of say, this is who I am. And uh, some artists can get stuck there sometime. And I've always been the kind of artist that's like, how and what can I do to challenge myself? Or how do I remain excited about this? And I think the excitement is in always, let's try something different. Whether it is successful or works or not, is not as important to me as let's try something different because perhaps what I'm trying to say only can be expressed a certain way. And that's why I continually evolve. And I always work on series. Once I have a, a, an idea in my head, it's, it's virtually impossible for me to feel that I can resolve that, 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 that problem, that thought in one painting. So I almost always work in series. And that's what you'll see in the show. You'll see a series of work from the very beginning. Uh, I, I, I got an identity crisis. I have uh, um, the silent series that deals with the American flag and being black in America. I have uh, the, the beauty and introvert series. Uh, I just have the civil rights uh, uh, series. And then departure is very much about something where I'm doing something that's even more three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the uh, silent series because a lot of our listeners may have actually been introduced to your work actually last year um, during the protests across the country against police involved killings, against the uh, police murder of George Floyd. Um, you were commissioned by Time Magazine to do a cover piece that illustrated that very moment. So that, if, if I'm not mistaken, I know when I did a tour, that piece was in the show. So can you talk about how that came together, um, the Time Magazine piece, and then maybe talk a little bit about the series itself, which you said is the silent series. Okay, so um, thank you. Um, the Silent Series actually started at the time that uh, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and uh, the reaction, especially to white America, was like, if you don't like this country, go back home. And that in itself is very offensive, considering that in most cases, we've been here longer than they have been. And so uh, uh, there was also a question of who is an American? And it was in, suggested or implied that to challenge a system that is not fair or unjust, especially to black bodies, that you're acting un-American. And so my silent series was all about the exact, exact opposite of what I was saying, which is we should not remain silent. And so like in most of those cases where I have an American flag that's going over the face, it sometimes covers the eyes, like to blindfold, the stars or the stripes may go across your mouth to try to keep you silent. And the message was for me, because there's several pieces in might be in the show that deal with black, black children. And it's the whole idea is don't be afraid to speak your piece. Don't be afraid to, to speak out because being American is part of our right of freedom of speech. 
So the silent series really kind of addresses that. And uh, D.L. Pine, who was the art director for Time Magazine, had seen my silent series early on because I had originally done it about three years ago. And he came to me and said, I thought, I, I thought about this. I always wanted to use you and thought this would be perfect for this cover for America Must Change. And that's where I developed a special piece for Time Magazine. Okay. And so can you talk about that piece? Because it's, it's so poignant. I mean, you have a child and it's this little girl, you know, who, you know, we all look at kids as full of promise and, you know, um, a sense of wonder, but she seems to have such a heavy heart yeah. in that moment. So can you talk about it? You know, being, being a child of the 60s, I saw a turbulent time. I saw a lot of protests. I saw a lot of murder of black bodies and, uh, you know, assassination of Martin Luther King. I, I was eight years old when that happened. And so I, as a child, lived in a certain state of fear. But, you know, to think that, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, actually, you know, 50 years later, our children, my grandchildren are still in a state of fear. And so that was kind of the commentary I was making. It's like, there's all these things going on. And I, I think if you want to be really concerned, you sit down with a young child today and ask him about the things that have been going on and see how they observe, how they process it. And because it, it's not like they're not seeing it. They're, they're, they, they may have smiles on their faces and they may have moments of joy, but they're also aware of what's going on. And sometimes not necessarily informed, but they have ideas. And so I was really trying to address that whole idea that there is a lot going on in their minds. There's a lot that they're seeing that sometimes they can process and sometimes they may not process correctly, but there's this awareness that it seems that America doesn't like black people. And, um, you know, and, and there's a certain amount of truth to that. So I think I was addressing that to some degree when it comes to that particular piece. Okay, okay. And so, you know, and another in the series when you're talking about, you know, addressing what Black people face within this country, another series that is in the show is Eminent Domain. And mm. it tells a story that I think perhaps a lot of people don't, um, a lot of people probably don't know, which right. is the um, removal of African-American communities to make room for, uh, you know, highway projects. Right. And so, you know, particularly in a place like Atlanta where, you know, gentrification, we're talking about that all the time. Um, how did you come to that moment where you said, I need to, that it moved you, that you decided, yeah, this needs to be recorded in some way? You know, I, I'm always like, thank you, Rosalind. Um, I'm always, I'm always intrigued and fascinated by little discoveries. You know, like my, I have a, a brilliant, amazing wife who's a sociologist, a black historian. And so she's always bringing things to me, but surprisingly, sometimes I, I bring something to her. But what happened in the case of Eminent Domain was uh, I, I, I've been doing art shows around the country for some time now. And uh, I started to notice this consistency with with highways going through black communities, how these highways and structures are going through. And I'm like, this, this can't be a coincidence. And so I started digging deeper. And I also like, I remember living in Milwaukee and I remember in our neighborhood, how the construction workers came through and demolished several homes to build a highway. 
And so I started to do more and more research and discovered this eminent domain. And that eminent domain has existed for a long time. And in fact, eminent domain to this day is still being used. And it is the government uh, pretty much saying to anybody, uh, usually someone, because it's not gonna happen in, a, in an affluent neighborhood, that we need your property for something uh, needed with the government. And often it was the highway system and almost 99.9% .9 of the time, it was a black community where a highway system was uh, destroyed a black community. Uh, uh, I-20 is a perfect example of that here in Atlanta, but it's happened. Like I was in New Orleans, I was in uh, Miami, the Overtown area, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And it's happened to every major city and it happened in the black, uh, black community of black neighborhoods. And so like, like so address, addressing that particular piece, I, I paint a black and white photograph that kind of uh, represents nostalgia or vintage period. But then there is a highway, you'll see a highway map on the piece. And then you'll see what are my abstract uh, um, interpretation of cancer cells. The cancer cells represent mm. the US government. But I think that uh, the cancer cells also represent a period in my life when I lost my mom to cancer. And at one point when, after she had passed away, I was kind of curious to what cancer cells, cells look like. And so when I did my research, I pulled these images so I saw what cancer cells looked like. And so when I started to do the eminent domain, it was, I'm gonna incorporate and, and use the uh, cancer cells to represent the government. I see. Well, you know, your mom uh, has a very quiet presence, meaning it's not over, overt in some ways, but there's a presence of your mom and uh, a lot of your work over the last, what we say, it's been, has it been eight years since her uh, passing? No, it's, it's been 12 years, I believe, because okay. my mom saw President Obama get elected, okay. but she passed before he was the inauguration. Okay. Well, one thing that we see her presence in, you've talked about, and I'd love to hear more, is flowers. They mm. are in abundance in a lot of your later work. Right. So are those some of her favorite flowers? How did you come to the point that you thought this needs to move onto the canvas? You know, um, the thing about my, the flowers, it, it, it did very much, it was uh, started by the, the, the loss of my mom. And so, uh, and what's funny, I, I wanted to mention this, Rosalind, thank you for mentioning her in the article and everything like that, because I sent the article to uh, my family, and they're like, wow, and you mentioned mama. And I'm like, I, I'm so unaware that I mentioned my mother, that I'm like, wait a minute, what, what, when did I mention my mom in the article? And I went back and said, oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I did, and she has it. But yeah, I, my mom is present in everything that I do. Uh, it's because... Uh, I want her, she was always such a strong presence for us and sacrifice. So it was very much about, I honor you as I do my ancestors every time I pick up a paintbrush. I light candles and I speak to my ancestors every day to say, how can I best represent you? Please inspire me, tell me your stories. How can I tell your story? And I want to make you all proud. But when it comes to the flowers, uh, I've been painting, drawing since you know, maybe before high school, way before high school, but I got serious about it when I was in high school, but I have not stopped painting and drawing since then. When my mom passed away, 
I went through a period where I attempted to continue painting and I simply couldn't pull it out of me because it comes from a spiritual place as well. And so what happened was I went through almost a year where I could not create. And then one day I had this idea for a painting and it was a little boy, like a nine-year-old boy. He's holding a huge bouquet of flowers and I titled the piece, Not Enough Flowers, because I began to realize I have been in a state of mourning for a year where uh, just the loss of her took my spirit for a moment. And so that was the turning point where I could come back again. And so now, flowers to me now represent so many different things because flowers are a part of celebration. They're a part of mourning. They're, they're part of love. Uh, and at times I also use flowers as a form of distraction. And so like uh, during the last uh, administration, you, we, we saw how the president behaved and how we were so often distracted by his behavior. But while he was acting a certain way and we're looking over there, there are these laws and bills that are being passed on the other side that can per permanently uh, you know, uh, affect us all. And so he was only a distraction. So sometimes the flowers act as a distraction. So it might be a very negative image in the painting and then flowers in the corner that say, hey, look at the pretty flowers. And so that's an ongoing theme. And every time I've tried to get away from flowers, there's almost this call, calling or need to incorporate them on some kind of level. And you did that as well, actually surprisingly so, with the cover image that you did for John Legend's uh, latest album, The Greater Love. So, did that too organically spring forward? Were you listening to his music as you painted? You, you know, it, it's so cool. Like uh, when, with that project, so I got a, I got uh, Sony art director uh, reached out to me and uh, asked me if I would be interested. And at the time, it had, happened to be during the pandemic and everything, and people were not out and about. And John wanted, you know, to cover with me. The album was coming out, and he wanted some art. And so he had he was aware of me. And so he told the art director, no, I think it was the other way around. The art director said, there's this guy that I think would be great for doing your cover. And John said, why don't you give him a call? See if you can find him, I'm sure you can. And so I got a call uh, from, from uh, David and uh, he asked me if I was interested. And I'm like, absolutely, because I love John, John Lennon's music. And so he said, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna send you the music so you can hear it before the world does. It, was a, it wasn't even completely edited yet but put it on, it was like, oh my God, this is some great music. So I'm like listening to it, enjoying it and begin to see certain images. So then I got on the phone with John and explained that uh, just shortly, literally days before the country shut down, uh, uh, my fiance at the time and I had just gotten back from South Africa, which we had spent, uh, I wanna say 10 days or something, I can't remember, but we were gone for a while. So when we came back, uh, the city, the city shut down, all the cities shut down. But while I was in South Africa, I took lots of pictures this time of landscapes and, and flowers and everything. But in particular, there was a flower called a potilla flower. And it's the, uh, the, the national flower of South Africa. And so I got on the phone with John and I was telling him about this idea where I wanted the piece to be somewhat influenced by great album covers of um, Bitches Brew by, by um, Miles Davis. And I'm like, uh, I see, imagine something like that. And so John looked it up, saw the image, he said, I love it. And so I said, and I would like to incorporate the Potilla flower and put it on your shoulder. 
as a way of representing South Africa, because John also informed me that South Africa is the second biggest market in, in the world. So it's, you know, of course, the United States won, and South Africa is number two for him. So it, it was all, in a way, somewhat spiritual and organic. Wow, I had no idea that that was that was the second market. It just seems like you two just met at the exactly right time um, to do this. So, <clears throat> what's ahead for you um, as you move forward? As I said, you you also have some children's books projects that you've done, right. and um, you know there may be another series, uh, cooking and brewing within you. So, mm -hmm. what lies ahead for you? A, a wonderful question. Uh, I wish I could narrow it down to one thing. I have, uh, quite honestly, uh, Rosalyn, I have two major announcements that are going to take place on Monday because uh, I'm working with the Lakers on a major project where I'm the creative director, the LA Lakers. And I'm also working with a company, the uh, uh, NBA 2K, on a major project with them. Uh, and they're making that announcement on Wednesday. And so I've done all my global interviews and everything for everybody. And it's going to drop Monday and Wednesday. And then I'm working on a, a major project also with uh, NFT that's going to drop on Thursday. And these are all happening next week. But then I'm wrapping up. I wrapped up two new children books. I just got a great review for one that I finished earlier this year. But uh, the one I'm, I'm really excited about is the one that I wrote and illustrated because all these children, children books prior to this one, uh, I only did the illustration for, but there's a book that's going to be coming out the first of the year called The Legend of Gravity, and it deals with one great player kid um, that played on the playgrounds, but he became a legend. And it's based on my, my years of playing playground ball, but it's also based on the idea that I know that in the case of a Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, uh, any of these players, they can't win a game by themselves. You know, and it's like, so it's about teamwork. It's about the idea that uh, uh, it takes a team to win a game. And so that was my tribute and dedication to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where I'm from. But I also have, I have an opening tonight, the ninth in Milwaukee, Wisconsin called On the Shoulders of Many, where I honor my te art teachers and inspiration from Milwaukee. I won't be there for that. I'll be doing an artist talk on the 30th. And I also have an opening uh, at uh, the Center of Nowhere and, and Martha Vineyard that opens on the 4th of August. But of course, the show that's going on at Hammond House will continue until the 1st of August. So I, I have so much going on right now. And I feel blessed <laughs> to be, able to be so busy. You certainly do. I mean, that's a lot that you just described. So, <laughs> all right. Well, Charlie Palmer, it seems like the horizon is very, very bright for you moving forward. And so I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us here at Access Alana. It's been an absolute pleasure. And once again, fantastic article. And hey, let's please stay in contact. All right, all right. Now named the Pratt Pullman District, the Pullman Yard site has seen major redevelopment of the 12 historic buildings that make up the heart of the area as an arts and entertainment destination. Van Gogh The Immersive Experience, the art tour that opened in the Pratt Pullman District in May and runs through the end of the year, was just the start of the arts and culture plan. Co-owner Adam Rosenfeld and conductor Larry Blank will unveil the next stage, a 45-piece Pops Orchestra in Residence, on July 20th at 7pm for a Best of Broadway show. 
Dubbed the Pullman Pops, the group will possibly perform more concerts, including a film concert series this fall. Rosenfeld said Pullman Pops could even offer enough shows for a subscription series of concerts next year. Read more about this new destination and the new orchestra on AJC.com. The French-speaking community in Atlanta is close-knit and growing as the business, educational, and cultural connections increase and deepen. There are 140 French-based companies in Georgia, and more than 20,000 people work for French companies. According to curated data answer engine, Wolfram Alpha, there are almost 32,000 persons speaking French at home in Atlanta, and who knows how many more still roll out their high school French occasionally. July is French Heritage Month, and Atlanta offers many ways to mark the occasion. We have some suggestions, which you'll find on our Things to Do page at AJC.com. Georgia had plenty of Emmy nominations this year, including HBO's Lovecraft Country, Netflix's Cobra Kai, Disney Plus's WandaVision, and Atlanta native Kenan Thompson. HBO's well-received drama Lovecraft Country, shot in Metro Atlanta, is up for best drama against Amazon's The Boys, Netflix's Bridgerton and The Crown, Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, Disney Plus's The Mandalorian, FX's Pose, and NBC's This Is Us. Find out more about the Emmy nominations and the Georgia Connections on Rodney Ho's radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. Los Angeles duo Sparks has been around since the beginning of the 1970s and is still going strong today. Brothers Ron and Russell Mayle have never had a top 40 hit in their native country, coming closest with Cool Places, which hit number 49 in 1983. But their influence on music is much bigger than that would suggest. There's a new documentary by Edgar Wright of Shaun of the Dead fame and a movie musical, Annette, which recently premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Now the duo has announced a tour that will stop in Atlanta this fall. Get the details on the Atlanta Music Scene blog at AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.